welcome friends to a new week, a new episode of Liberation Lectionary, where each week uh, we try to uh, see if we can't explore and find seeds, nuggets of liberation in the uh, readings for the upcoming Sunday, according to the Revised Common Lectionary. My name is Jamie Edwards Acton. I am an Episcopal priest uh, in Los Angeles, and joining me as always is my comrade. ¿Qué onda, mi gente? This is Francisco Garcia hanging out in Nashville, Tennessee, trying to do this this doctoral thing <laughs> and stay true to the work of liberation somehow. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, we are looking today, I don't even know what, uh, let's see, it's the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, is that right? I think so. Uh, this is a quiz, a quiz, Francisco. Uh, well, make sure whatever we're going to, because I'm not sure, but make sure it, whatever it is. It is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Yes. Fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Look at that. See, you just, it's in my blood. You're the revised common lectionary. Body, embodied <laughs> the lectionary, dude. And uh, we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark. And um, we're reading that's not too far after the one we read last week. Uh, so this is going to be from chapter five. And... Um, Francisco is going to read it, and then I'm going to kick it off the way we do it, is we kind of like, uh, if you've seen, you know, Olympic ping pong, right, games, uh, we just kind of hit it back and forth, try to have, you know, really trick shots and stuff like that, uh, but at the end, we see if we can't come up with something meaningful, so Francisco, or maybe know, maybe yeah. lucha, lucha Libre, if you want to use a different... <laughs> That's right. Metaphor, but it's okay. Uh, this is a long scripture, so bear with us. We'll figure out how to how to how to discuss it. So, uh, Mark five uh, verses twenty one through forty three. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, "My little daughter is at the point of death." Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. He, she had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people from the leader's house, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear only believe. He allowed no one to come to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, 
Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the girl, where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of the Lord. Right on. Okay. We got a ton of content here. There is a ton of content here. This and uh, there is a lot to riff on here. Um, so where do you start? Where do you, where well, would you I think, start? Let me this? just zoom out a little bit. And I think just, uh, you know, people need to, uh, this is no accident, right? That these two passages, it, it feels disjointed. Like there's this one story happening and then it gets interrupted by this other story. And then it, the other story finishes. And indeed, that's what it is. But the two are connected, right? They, they're, I think they're intended to be uh, juxtaposed and you know, compared and contrasted. So this is like theological, scriptural, uh, healing, multitasking. That's right. Of the first century. That's right. And <laughs> that's right. And I think, too, that, you know, there's some things to point out, like uh, Jairus is, you know, a, an established leader of the Jewish community, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a juxtap who is asking uh, help for his daughter of 12 years of age. 12 is no accidental symbol, so we may want to get into that. And then there is this anonymous woman who is not only apparently poor and just part of the multitude, Mm -hmm. Right, an anonymous part of the multitude mm -hmm. that also is doubly impoverished because she's got this 12 long years of hemorrhaging, which makes her in, unclean, impure uh, in this context. Um, so she's doubly uh, marginalized, not just by her poverty anonymity, but also by this. Um, so she's the inverse of the respectable Jairus. Um, and, and more talks about how she's endured you know, um, much from doctors and stuff like that, which physicians, which, you know, that could be like the doctors we think of our primary physicians, or could be like, you know, there was a fine line between the priests and the doctors, you know, like, is this a reference to, you know, those who declare people clean and unclean? Um, and she had endured much, you know, uh, in, in that context. Um, so I, I just at the, the wide shot here, Francisco, that I think we is worth holding on to is this comparing and contrasting mm -hmm. of, um, of of the story of Jairus and his experience and the story of this woman. And it to me um, and we can get into the, the the nuts and bolts of it. But to me, this uh, the theme of this, as you put these together, I think would be a very liberation theology theology message of. Jesus has, you know, Jesus's preference, right? Or he has a preferential option for the poor, right? Even if it means attending to one of those poor uh, at the expense of someone's daughter, right? Like because of the, you could make the argument because of that delay, you know, of the woman that Jairus's daughter, I mean, that's what everybody thought because he was delayed that she had passed away. Mm -hmm. um, but even Jesus turned that up on its head. But anyways, I find this interesting that, you know, uh, Jesus is trying to uh, 
say, you know, where are my priorities in terms of carrying out God's mission here on earth? Where am I going to, who am I going to attend to first? Who am I going to, you know, uh, kind of come alongside uh, primarily and then um, not exclusively, but primarily. And I think this story kind of starts to spell some of that out hmm. within the Jewish context, I think. Yeah, I think that's an interesting take, Jamie, because if we delve into the teachings of um, of the preferential option for the poor and the marginalized in the liberation, you know, theology tradition, it's always been, it's not, it's, it's often been mischaracterized, um, it, you know, in saying that, oh, well, how can God um, have, have preference um, for one group of people or above the other? That's like um, exclusive or it's, you know, it's right. not in the spirit. Black lives matter, all lives matter. Francis. Yeah, it's yeah. like this whole discourse, right? And so this has been around for a long time, yes. but, you know, um, and, but, you know, this is why uh, the word preferential is again, misunderstood. It, you know, this means that, as you said, it's more of an understanding of the social reality of the world and where healing is most needed in the face of oppression. And that that is where God is really going to, um, you know, dwell. That God is going to dwell, and the liberating force of God is going to is going to focus in these places where healing is most needed. It not at the expense of other places um, where healing also may be needed, but is maybe less urgent, right? And I think that's how you're saying, like these two yeah. situations, um, where Jairus is a is a man of privilege, you know, uh, of probably of what, uh, relative. Um, well-being economically right and, and and juxtaposing that with this woman um who has so many hits against her right she's old she's been hemorrhaging she's like as you said from the multitude and this is where jesus focuses his attention on the healing but doesn't you know the the the, the little girl ends up being healed as well right mm -hmm. so it's right. it's again it's not at the exclusion of the healing of others but in fact it's kind of saying that through the healing by focusing attention on where the uh, where healing is most needed and where God's liberating love um, really shows up primarily, it actually brings collective liberation. It brings about healing in the greater world as well. And I think that that holds true for us, right? If we think about um, uh, the call for yes, Black Lives Matter, or you know any number of of, of people and places where um, you know there's there's a lot of injustice. If we really, as a society, as a community, as, as, a, as a nation, focused on addressing the deep injustices in these areas, it actually would benefit everybody. It actually would bring about a better, um, you know, a better community, a better world in general, right? If, right. if the Black community if, 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 uh, did not, you know, um, you know, suffer from the legacy of, of you know, the sin of, uh, you know, the original sin of slavery, and then, you know, and, and the leg and then the current manifestations on black and brown communities of mass incarceration, right, as one example. Right. Um, and so we got to focus on that as a nation, as a people, we got to, we got to hone in on that and address those issues, so that we can all get free. So. In, other, in, in other contexts, it's very obvious, right? Like Jesus is a first responder here, right? 
So yeah. he's he's a first responder to a crisis situation, a crisis of justice, Triage. a cri yeah, a crisis of you know just identity, all this you know inclusion, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he's going to go to those who need you know the most attention. And the and it's just wonderful and striking how the for, you know the one who gets his attention primarily interrupted right in the context of those who typically command uh, the attention right the service of those and you know of, of important people or you know uh, the church or whatever right um, that those who have the kind of resources and the and the reputations and the status in society and they expect the church to be paying attention to them and here you have this anonymous woman reaching amongst the crowd right just amongst the crowd um, and 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 it and it stops Jesus literally in his tracks right and there is this exchange that happens uh, of uh, where healing like uh, kind of a, a force leaving Jesus and a healing entering, you know, the woman. Um, and that speaks of this this relationship, like, you know, like uh, they were built for each other, right? Jesus and 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 people suffering, situa suffering situations such as this woman, uh, they were, of course, meant for each other, designed for each other. That's what God had in mind. Um, and, and, and she is so much more, again, receiving this healing and, and open to the moment. And you compare, finally, when Jesus does get back to Jairus' daughter, what do they do? They're, they're weeping and stuff. And they laugh at him when he says, I love that. I love that Mark includes that, right? That he, he, he says she's not dead, you know, um, trying to assure them uh, that you, you might not have uh, this faith in God, but, you know, it, you should. And they laugh at him. Whereas, you know, contrast that to what, the response of the woman who humbly, right, almost feeling like she's going to be shamed or something for having reached out, you know, to touch Jesus. And is she is surprised by being commended, right, and called daughter. Now she is the daughter, right? Right. Um, there's, this, there's this kind of change that happens where, you know, the, the young 12-year-old is the daughter, right, of, uh, of, you know, the important people or whatever. And then, but she becomes the daughter uh, in uh, in God's eyes or in Jesus' eyes. I, in so, I, I love this story. Yeah, and I'm glad that you you got further into sort of the character and the story of the woman because, you know, yes, one one way to think about this is um, through the lens of Jesus and Jesus's actions and what that represents and how God shows up in that way. But another way is to look at this through the lens of the woman. And to right. say that this was not um, healing in itself was not um, one-sided. It was not like a, you know, unidirectional uh, process, right? So I love that this this middle part of this passage kind of lifts up in a way the the moral, um, the spiritual, the physical agency of this woman, right? Yeah, she was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure what to do. But she, ultimately, she felt like convicted enough, you know, and she again, as it says, she had the faith, right? Um, right? That if she were to touch Jesus's clothing, that she would be made well. So she believed in him. She believed in his message. She was willing to follow him in the way, in a way she was willing to be converted. Right. To, uh, to, to, 
to the way of Jesus, right? And, and by and sure, she had a condition that she desperately that desperately needed healing. But imagine to be in that state and to still have that kind of faith, that wellness, that healing, that um, that justice, really for her because of the social margin marginalization that she experienced as a result of her condition, that all of that was possible right. by following Jesus, by just touching his garment, right? And so that just shows her agency that she was showing up. She was deciding to say yes to God and, and to herself and, and, and to know that something could happen, right? right? And what happens, right? Through that, this trans, this, this interaction, you know, God shows up, right? Right. The, 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 the healing power of God is, is, is sort of made manifest through this encounter. And even Jesus is, is kind of like, well, what happened, right? He felt the power shift. So I just right. love that, that you could do, we could focus on the story of the woman and we could obviously connect it to so many uh, people, uh, you know, in our current day, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to go with in this story. Yeah, and the, her courage, just what you're talking about, you know, in that just where it says, you know, he, uh, the, the disciples said, or Jesus said to the disciples, you know, who touched my clothes? And the disciples say, well, how can you even ask that? There's so many people here. You know, that's such a crazy question. And, and so the woman, then it follows that the woman could have stayed anonymous at this point, right? Yeah. Because she could have just stayed anonymous. And it says that she was that she was scared, right? That she, uh, you know, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, right? I'm, what is, I don't know if that's where Kierkegaard gets his... Oh, that's uh, interesting, right? You know, but came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth, right? And, and it's just like, it's what courage and, Jesus, and faith, and Jesus sees it right away, right? I mean, it's, it's not like the healing even, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Jesus kind of implies, um, or at least I like to think, that the healing process includes this second part, right? Yeah. It's not just her touching, right, the clothes, but it's this whole act of her coming out of, stepping out, you know, out of the anonymity, out of the crowd. The confessional state. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and, and then Jesus, like, acknowledging that and seeing that as part uh, of, of that whole process of what, you know, caused her healing to happen, how she participated so much in it. You know? Exactly. So as her, she, she was um, a subject Right, right of her own healing and not just and uh, you know this is kind of to draw from like the the work of Paulo Freire right who often talked about we've talked about this before about you know not being objects meaning that you are acted upon right and, but right. being a subject of your own history and of your own action and engagement and so she's a subject right she she engages she, she uh, directly right. with Jesus and that's actually that's what serves as like the catalyst for healing and right. so healing, um, I think, think about it for our own context, and it's, it's relational, right? right. It's, yeah. it's, it's about uh, being in community with, um, and it's not just at the individual level, because, you know, her confessional um, sort of state is, again, part of her conversion. So we can imagine, you know, she's being healed of this disease, but she's also going in peace to then sort of spread the message, you know? to share the good news. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I love how she becomes, you know, there's something about the the daughter status, you know what I mean? And it and and who is going to represent the daughter? We just sang a song this past Sunday. We're going to have to sing it again this Sunday. Uh from again Porter's Gate, which, you know, we've been singing a lot of them. favorite they, of ours. They have yeah, they have a great song called The Daughters of Zion, right? Yes. Which um let me see if I can even pull up some of the words. Um but um it's you know i so it's not just this one person right um but it's this you know um who, like she this woman in this passage will comes to embody you know like the, the this is the exemplar right she becomes the exemplar uh in terms of the daughters of zion her courage her um and 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 all this other stuff that had once defined her right this other uh, her impurity, right? This twelve years of impurity, her being anonymous in the crowd, her being a woman, her being unnamed, right? Her her all these things uh, in comparison with Jairus and uh, and 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 his life experience and and, some, and his family's life experience, um, that she becomes now the the model, right? Mm-hmm. This is who. Uh, embodies, who models, who exemplifies what it means to be a daughter of Zion, a daughter of, you know, Israel, um, uh, a daughter of God's kingdom. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think we could, especially in our, in our context, I mean, there, there, there's a lot that can be done with this from all kinds of different perspectives, but, you know, you could bring the feminist, obviously, analysis um, within the liberation tradition um and you know there are other stories obviously that um while sometimes there's been a critique that oh well why when the when women show up in the bible oftentimes they don't have a name right so it's a woman right she's uh, anonymous versus having Jairus, right is named um and she's not but um you know i think it could go it could go different ways right in this way um this could be sort of lifted up as as a as a model of the of the equity, I think that Jesus, you know, is, um, you know, that his, his ministry calls for. Right. And we obviously already talked about that in terms of the preferential option. Right. Um, So, and there is something very intimate about, you know, calling her daughter. She does, she is unnamed, um, you know, but I'm, I'm going back to look and see if, you know, Jesus doesn't even, you know, um, he doesn't even offer that to Jairus's daughter, right? Doesn't call her that, but just basically says in the Aramaic, you know, little girl, get up. And so that's as close, which is not very, that's not very endearing, right? When I hear dot Jesus call her daughter, this woman, I hear God's voice from the clouds when Jesus is baptized. This is my beloved this is my son, son, right? And yeah. so it's on that level that I'm hearing that. And yeah. uh, so even though she goes unnamed in one sense, in another more intimate sense, uh, in terms of relationality, you know, her relationship with God and Jesus and stuff, there is this elevation of her. Yeah, I think you're dad, right. You know, yeah. It, it, the, that serves as a naming in a way. Yeah. Um, a person, uh, that personal acknowledgement and really daughter. I mean, you know, Jesus, as we, we know, is, is, is a young book, probably compared to this woman. And he calls her right. daughter. So he's that's, really t- referring right. to her, like she's a daughter of God, you know, it's that's not right. about, it's not, it's a different kind of relationship. That's and right. so, yeah, I think you're right. There is a level of, of, of sort of spiritual 
right. um, intimacy that happens in this encounter that I think is revolutionary, obviously for its time, especially. Right. And, it, and there's, there, you know, there's no accidents in this passage that I can see and um, with Mark and the daughter is crucial because, you know, I think Jesus wants this woman to know that the way that Jairus is caring about, you know, is concerned and caring about his daughter, right? That, mm -hmm. that he's named daughter. That's how God is, can, cares for you and is concerned about you on that level of relationship, you know? Um, so no longer are you, you know, 10 rungs down. No longer are you outside the circle until you get clean. No longer are you somehow second class, you know, this, you are, uh, you know, you are, you've always been, I think is what Jesus would say. You've always been kind of privileged status. And, uh, and I'm, I want to say it here again today. Yeah. So. No, this is good. I think it'll preach. It'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on Francisco, you know, I dig this and, uh, uh, we're here every week. You can find, so please, uh, like us on Facebook. If you haven't already share it with friends. We're also on Instagram. Um, and, uh, so you can, you can, uh, follow us there and you can share that with friends. Also, we are a podcast on several different platforms. And although the last few weeks were, we got a little hiccup in terms of posting because our main, uh, tech comrade, uh, went on a spiritual hike for a few weeks and forgot to leave the credentials for how to do that, uh, <laughs> with us, but, uh, it's all cut up now. You can find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts and Google Podcasts. If you leave a review, we will be forever in your debt and it will help us to spread the word of Liberation Lectionary. So I hope this has been meaningful to you. Take, uh, take what you've heard today, use it for your own uh, preaching, uh, for your own uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, speeches at your rallies and marches or for dinner table conversation with family and friends. But until next week, Francisco, Stay All right. cool, man. I don't know if you can do otherwise, but stay cool. All right. Right on. Peace. Okay. Peace.